Good morning, Life Church. If you're not awake now, God help you. That was powerful. I was kind of joking around with Pastor Tim and Sharon, and I said, well, I could just come up here and say, in closing, let's pray. <laughs> um, wow. You just kind of have to take a moment and just really, really kind of soak in the moment that just happened. Um, just to really appreciate and love being in God's presence with this family. Um, so powerful, so cool. Um, ironic, it's not ironic. It's perfectly in line with what we're talking about this morning because my title this morning is simply Draw Near. So in closing, that's <laughs> all we need right there, right? Um, man, last week we had Vision Sunday, and we heard an amazing, amazing vision for this year, some challenges and some, some goals and some directives and some things that we're looking to, to have happen in 2023, and that's for the body of Christ to assemble. Does anybody remember what the little catchphrase was from last week? Building together what we cannot build alone. Yes. How many kind of spent this week kind of thinking about that phrase a little bit? Anybody? You don't have to put your hand up if you didn't because that's cool. But what a powerful statement. And that's the point of the body. Right? And so today, we're going to, uh, last, last week we, we introduced the, uh, kind of like the theme text for this series on Assemble, and which is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. So I'm, I'm going to go through and just read that real quick, kind of revisit that and kind of review, and then I'm going to jump into what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new way, a new living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other that all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, today we are going to take a specific focus and we're going to break down just verse 22. And so if we go back and look at verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And so there's this image of water, and so immediately in my brain, I kind of go to this image of baptism. We kind of have that, that moment, that public declaration of what we believe, and we kind of let the old man go down, and the new man rises up out of the water, right? That's the image, that's the symbolism of, as well as just simply being obedient to what Jesus did. So I kind of thought of baptism as kind of like a wedding ceremony. It's the demonstration of a public commitment to an intimate, close relationship. 
Jesus brings us into a relationship with the holy God so that we can be nearer to him. You might see a theme today about drawing near to God. If you haven't felt it already and seen it already, there's more. Now, how silly would it be for the groom and a bride to come together in a wedding ceremony and then right after the wedding ceremony go back and start living their single lives again? Seriously. I mean, could have used that money elsewhere. But see, yet often people get baptized and then drift away from any close relationship with God like this was the whole point of this. See, through Jesus Christ, we can be close to God. And in verse 22, we find an invitation to draw near to him and how to draw near to him. Not in terms of methods, but in terms of a disposition. That what we do is very, very intentional. So when we draw near, it is an act of ourselves to draw near to God, correct? Draw near to him and he will draw near to me, you, us, right? It's an action step. We have to be willing to make that step. So what does this mean then? We have to be willing to take care of ourselves, and we have to really actually put ourselves in a place so as we draw near to God, not only are we doing that for the purpose of a corporate gathering and for the sake of assembling together, but we need to do that for ourselves first. Because if I don't know truth, if I don't know how to draw near to God, then how can I tell somebody else how to do it when I have not done it myself? Does that make sense? So I can't make somebody else do it if I'm not willing to take the steps myself. So I got to do it. So today, we're going to break down this verse and see what we need. So the first thing that we need, as it says in verse 22, is that we need a true heart. Right? Now, true doesn't mean I'm just not going to tell a lie. I'm not just going to tell you a fib. It's not what it just completely means. True actually comes from the Greek alethinos, which means an honest, sincere, and upright heart. See, drawing near to God with a true heart means I'm drawing near to him in absolute authenticity. I'm coming as I am. Without any veils in my life, he sees through them anyways, but it's cute to try. <laughs> right? It's like, thanks, but I see right through you. So, he kind of sees everything. We just need to be real with him. Right? Because sometimes, maybe you don't want to go to church. We don't want to read your Bible because, hey, game's on. Or, or pray because we don't know how to act. Because I think a lot of times people don't draw in and draw near to God because what's protocol? How do I act? What's my, how do I do this? And that's the coolest thing about God is that he does not want you to act. He wants you to be you. It's not an act. It's not a performance. You draw near to him. He makes himself more real to you. Right? So when we're moving in that direction... When we're drawing near, then that means everything else that I have left behind becomes further away. See, it's hard to move forward when you're looking constantly in a rearview mirror. Even though the windshield is 30 times bigger than your rearview mirror. But sometimes we're like driving and we're like, what's that behind me? And we get focused on that car with the red and, <laughs> the red and blue things on top of their car. 
did he see me? Speedo, them, speedo, them, speedo, them. Right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh! And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a car. No, because our focus was on the wrong thing. See, to have a true heart means I'm moving forward with my eyes focused solely on what God has for me and not what has been. But what has been also got you to where you are. Right? So if we've got scars, if we've got things that we've dealt with in our life, all those things were stepping stones to where God is bringing you to. But today, newsflash, he's not done. If we're still breathing, he's not finished. If we're still here, he's not done. So he's got something for you. And what do we do? So we cannot expect others to have a true heart until we are a, cur we're a courier of our own. I kind of think of it like this. My beautiful wife, Deborah, is back there. Hi, Deb. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. She completes me. I'm so glad she keeps me. And uh, I was thinking about that she didn't know I was going to do this, but <laughs> that's what I do. Um, so if I went up to my wife, Deborah, and I says, Deborah, you know what? I love you so, so much, more than anything in the world. I'm going to give you most of 50%. <laughs> and on Sundays, I might even push it to 70. But... I mean, there's other things I haven't done in my life yet and haven't seen and things I haven't done. So, I mean, I love you so much here, but I'm going to venture this way just a little bit, but I love you. I'll be back. See you soon. Maybe. 50% chance. Isn't it scary that we do the same thing with our relationship with God? Is that, God, hey, I love you so much. Yes, but I got my Monday through Saturday. God, you know how it is. So Sunday, I'll just come and hit the reset button on Sunday, which is cool. Come and reset your button. <laughs> Do it. This is the best place to come and reset your button. But Monday to Saturday is an opportunity for, to draw near so when that you come on Sunday, you have an opportunity not only to be here to reset your button and your week, but you also have a chance to share with others how I drew near to God and what did God say to my heart this week. Because what you have to say may be exactly what somebody needs to hear on Sunday morning when we come together. That's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I, we are faithful to Christ 100%. It can't be a partial journey. If it's only a partial journey, then it's only partial blessing. We don't get the whole picture. How many have ever gone to a restaurant and ordered a large fry and you got a medium? <laughs> Struggle is real, y'all. <laughs> but how many times have you ordered a medium fry and gotten a large? <gasps> That's like the grace of heaven right there. My kids and I were at Vince's pasta and pizza thingy, the other Chuck E. Cheese, and, and I, or, let's be real, y'all, come on. Their games are just more. 
But I ordered, my kids said, oh, can we get garlic knots? And I'm like, sure, I'm on a diet, let's do that. <laughs> and so I ordered 12, and I said, that should be enough because we're getting the pizza, right? 12, that's enough carboliciousness for you all. So 12, I ordered 12, and then they says, your number? Yep, here's your garlic knots. And it was like angels began singing because they brought me a basket of 26. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was a blessing or a test. <laughs> I took it as a blessing, so I partook of it. <laughs> and I say that because... A lot of times, because we are not drawing near completely to him, we are missing so much of what he's got. But ultimately, we know we can have a true heart if we evaluate our thoughts and motives according to God's word. That's where we know when we are moving in a correct direction. Hebrews 4.12 says this, so the word of, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what does this mean for us? That the word of God is, the, is able, wow, that's a new word. <laughs> able and capable. We're just going to go able. <laughs> Never mind the C, it's all good. The Lord's giving us new words, Hallelujah. He can perform the most precise of surgeries to where he, the word of God can come in and cut away everything that doesn't need to be there, but also will not take away anything that he has designed you to be and that he has put inside of you already. He keeps what needs to stay there, and what needs to go, the word of God can take away. But we've said this verse a couple of times at Life Church that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So I have to be willing to speak life and to speak that into my process and my journey so that if I'm speaking life, then I don't have an opportunity to hear what death has to say. Right? So that's how we move forward. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the only true way, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So in order to draw near... I have to draw less from the well that was leading me down a path of destruction. And I got to draw from the spring of living water so I know that life can come teeming in me, but also through me. Because as Pastor Tim was mentioning in that beautiful moment that we just witnessed, is that that's all about discipleship. When I draw near, guess what? I have the opportunity for God to work in me. And then as he works in me, I get to do that. He does that through me, and I get to speak life to someone else. And then that one gets a hold of the life that God has for them, and then they speak that to someone else, which is how the body of Christ is built. Right? 
Y'all with me so far? We're good? All right. So number two, we need a full assurance of faith. So we need a true heart. We need a full assurance of faith. And I tried to come up with some catchy points and stuff, and I'm like, ah, the word of God is good. So I'm just going to go with that. See, Christian faith is not wishful thinking. It's not like a kid that sits and make a wish and blowing out his candles at a birthday party. That's not what faith is. That's also not this mental ascent. It's not this mental thing that we try to do in our brain to where we recognize that a set of facts are true, but yet we choose to deny them. We choose not to walk in them anyways because of insert issue here. Christian faith is entrusting all that we are to Christ and the implications that it has for our lives. It's the kind of faith you have in the chair that you've plopped yourself down on this morning. Now, when you sat down, I feel pretty confident that as you sat, you didn't say, sweet Lord of hosts, please allow this four-legged wonder to hold my body as I descend upon it. In your precious name we pray, amen. Anybody pray that this morning? If you did, you're more spiritual than I am. If you didn't, that's because we expected that chair to hold us up in faith, right? That should be the way. Now, this doesn't always happen that way. Because I was at a family reunion at my parents' house. And it was a beautiful time. And it was one of those summers where it was just really hot. So at my parents' house in Canada, it was the equivalent of about 115 with the humidity. So you took a shower, I feel great in the air conditioning, and you walk outside and <laughs> I'm wet again. <laughs> then I go back into the air conditioning and get pneumonia. It's perfect. So we decided to move everything inside, which means good to see you again. Haven't seen you in like years, but hey, now we're sharing the same oxygen. And so we had to bring in different seating. So I was given a white plastic patio chair. Track with me. It gets worse. As we sat down to eat, I found myself sitting and we're enjoying our meal together. Then all of a sudden, for some reason, the table was going up. I come to find out the table was not going up, my chair was descending. And the back legs of the patio chair were here and they started sliding out. And I was like, and you're like shoulder to shoulder, you're like, I have nowhere to go. And I have the reaction time of a pregnant hippo. So this is not gonna end well. All of a sudden, the two back legs snap, and I descended to the floor with a thud, looking up at my wife, <laughs> saying, <sighs> I don't think I said anything to begin with, actually. I think it was more of a, well, that just happened. <laughs> and the legs shot across the floor, hit my uncle in the leg, and I think one of them hit the cupboard. I don't know. I lost track. I was, I was more worried about my backside. 
now that it was one with the laminate flooring. So, in saying that, sure, sure, it was a good laugh for everyone else. But see, had I taken a long look at what my scenario was going to be, let me see, $6 Walmart plastic patio chair, seems reasonable. Me, that should probably have been much lighter to sit in that chair. And then knowing that that chair with no, no rubber feet on the bottom, nothing like that, and I'm putting it on a wood laminate floor, it may as well have been a skating rink at that point. <laughs> and so it just snapped. See, sometimes we move forward. We think we move ahead in faith, but really we're moving ahead in our own strength because we don't take a complete survey of what our surroundings are. Had I used my brain, I would have switched chairs with somebody who was five pounds. Say, you, little one, here, give me that thing that's reinforced with steel. That's what I should have gone for. Didn't look at the complete picture. Was it a good lesson? Didn't think about it as a lesson until last night. <laughs> so it only took a few years for that to sink in. Like, oh, that was, that was good, I think. So how can I draw near to God with a true heart and in full assurance of faith? You might think, if I'm truly honest, I'm not sure I do fully believe and I am fully saved. I'm not sure that I buy into all this Jesus stuff. So how can I draw near to God like that? Well, that's exactly the answer. You draw near to God just like that. Bring your skepticism and your doubts honestly to him. He will always hold up. He'll always hold up. So whatever thing that you have you feel is faltering in your life, he's got a remedy. He's got an answer. He has a solution. So as we draw near to him, he's always going to hold up. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him will believe, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Did you catch the last two words? Seek him. He will reward those who seek him. If you do no seeking, we can't really get mad at God for not sending the remedy or for sending the blessing or for sending the answer. Or the solution. It's like taking a test and not studying and don't understand why you got an F. <laughs> Been there. Oh, that chapter. Wrong one. I was in the completely wrong place. And I've seen so many times on stories of people who are bound and determined to look at God and try to completely disprove him and discredit him. And it makes, it's their mission. And I found story after story about people who are authors and investigators and p former, like, uh, FBI agents and things like that. And they actually could not disprove it from many different vantage points. And it wasn't just because of scripture. It wasn't even because they took a journey through God's word. They took a journey through history. It wasn't... Most of these people were devout atheists. And I'm like, oh, I just want to shut down God once and for all. 
May the force be with you, my friend. It's not going to happen. Here's what happens. God has shown up and proven himself in just the way that he needed to to relate to that person. And he'll always show up in the way that he needs us to. Because the way God shows up for me may be different for Marcus. May be different for Andrew. But his purpose is still the same. Purpose is the same. He wants to draw it out of us into what he has. See, if they wanted to see historical Jesus, Jesus proved himself historically. If you go back to some of the early Roman books, actually Jesus is mentioned more than Caesar. I'm teaching history this year, so I'm finding out all this cool stuff. <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm a history nerd now. It's awesome. If they wanted to see the addiction chain-breaking Jesus, he showed up as just that. If they wanted to see the intellectual Jesus, you come to the right place. Because so much wisdom will jump off at these pages, and instead of their reasoning and their doubt be prevalent, he actually etches the word of God truth upon their hearts, and now it becomes something different for them. Because their, proof, their, their pursuit and their focus has changed, not to disprove God, but how do I worship him more? And that's what he's calling us to do. James 1, 2 to 4 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God lacks zero. He lacks nothing. So everything that we need in order to draw near to him, to actually build our faith, he's got the answer for. He's got it. And he's really good about it. And when I think about this idea of faith, I always go back to the story about Peter being called out of the boat. And if you're not familiar with the story, and I always think, I kind of, let me read it real quick. We, we good? Can I read 11 verses to you? And there'll be more, but no, well. So Matthew 14, 22 to 33 says, 14, 22 to 33 says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Pause. I had this picture in my mind that came to me last night, and I wonder if Jesus had a smirk on his face when he sent the disciples to the other side. He's like, no, go ahead. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. We'll see you on the other side. I'm just going to send these guys home. You're going to be fine. Have a good trip. We'll see you a bit. And I just had this smirking Jesus picture in my brain last night. Like It was like, Jesus knew it was coming. Disciples had no idea. But something was coming. So after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was, on, while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were, were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, 
Come. Jesus said, so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. When Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I've been saying. I don't know why it takes feeding a multitude of people twice, storms, healings, things for you to pick it up. Mm. I am he. So this is what I feel Peter learned with his step of faith. Peter wanted to be with Jesus regardless of the risk. And he knew whatever God commanded of us, he, commanded of us, he empowers us to do so. If Jesus says to t- call you out of the boat, walk on the water, he's not going to go, oh, fooled you. He doesn't do that. No, if he's, if he's calling you to do something, he's going to give you the strength and what you need to empower you to do the task. The second thing is that Pete, this is all for free, by the way. There's no notes for this. Sorry, Pastor Sharon. I just threw this in for nothing. Peter realized it is better to be with Jesus without a boat than it is to be in a boat without Jesus. Okay. Peter realized it is better to be with Jesus without a boat than it is to be in a boat without Jesus. What a great picture of drawing near. In the midst of chaos and the storm, when God says, draw near to me, I will empower you. I'll give you what you need to draw near. But here it is. The first steps wasn't Jesus. First step was Peter's. We have to be willing to step out of the boat. And the third thing is that faith can never be called true faith unless it is accompanied by action and obedience. Because Hebrews 11 says, 11.1 says, faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. And James 1, 6, and 7 says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So if we want to move forward in faith, we have to put our faith in the right thing. Correct? And number three, God wants us to have clean hearts and minds. And I like the word that they used Sprinkled. We just experienced a lot of sprinkling in Southern California lately from the sky. And sprinkle actually comes from the Greek word rhino, which means in a figurative manner, it speaks of our hearts being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus in cleansing from an impure conscience. The purpose of describing Christ's redemptive work in terms of Old Testament rituals, which we hear about a lot, and if you read like Leviticus and the, the old rituals that they would have to do in order to forgive sin or for all these different sacrifices and rituals they would do. Thank God we don't have to do that today because the price of eggs. <laughs> 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 uh, 
See, the reason why Christ's redemptive work in terms of those rituals is to explain how Christ and his atoning death, but also his triumphant resurrection, accomplished what these things represented, their essential significance, and to say that those rituals are therefore irrelevant and unnecessary. Because, see, under the new covenant of Christ, we don't have to be doing the things that the old law dictated. We have a new covenant. We have access to God no matter what at any moment, any time. So we're not bound by old ritual. We are bound by a brand new awesome covenant that gives us access to Christ whenever we need it or want it or desire it. Calvary was both the altar and the mercy seat. And Jesus was both the priest and the sacrifice. He did it all. He was everything for everyone. And I think about what does it mean, clean hearts and minds. So I go, obviously go to this idea of sin. So sin is kind of like a computer virus. If you're a nerd, welcome. If you have a virus in your computer, sorry. <laughs> Not the guy to talk to. Talk to Deb. That's who you talk to. It has been embedded into our moral operating system that has caused us to malfunction in such a way so that everything has been compromised. What Jesus does is removes the virus and refurbishes us so that we can run the original program we were meant to run. Closest with God and drawing nearer to him. And here, there's that phrase, heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. It's the morality that God has pre-programmed within all of us. And so that we all know and agree on what's right and what's wrong. But sin has damaged it, and now it misfires. Thankfully, Jesus purifies our consciousness, our consciences, and cleans us up so that we can live near to God. You see, as Christians, we can approach God freely and without reservations and free from our guilty and evil consciences in full assurance of the work of Jesus Christ. We have access. We can come right to him boldly. See, under the new covenant, our hearts and consciences are complete, cleansed completely, not partially or temporarily. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Our clean consciences allow us to enter God's presence with boldness. The imagery here is that the imagery of our bodies having been sprinkled or washed with pure water actually pictures an inward cleansing, something that goes internally. Just as baptism is an outward sign and a declaration and a public declaration of our faith, of what Jesus does inside of us, so this washing speaks of an internal cleansing that happens inside of each one of us. Once cleansed, we can approach God. Now, let me clarify. That's not saying that I need to be completely perfect before I pursue God. That doesn't mean, oh, I'll go to Jesus when I have my act together. That day will never come, my friends, because we're human. We're kind of flawed. But we have a God that can that can bypass the flaws and bring us into purpose and destiny and the things that he has for us. So, first of all, we have to surrender. We have to let ourselves go there. 
right? We have to let God do a work in our heart and our lives so we can move forward with him. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has already prepared a place for you. And he's working on each one of us. And he has a plan and he has a purpose. And I know sometimes those words become cliche and sometimes becomes like the, the proper church thing to say. When we start believing it, we may have to stop saying it. But a lot of times we know that God has a purpose and a plan for our life, but sometimes things happen. Right? And there is an adversary that wants to see none of those plans come to fruition in your life. Because we have an enemy that hates you. But I don't know if anybody else has read the end. His days are numbered. And he knows it. So we keep drawing near. And we keep drawing near. And we keep drawing near. And when you feel that you have drawn near enough, then we draw near some more. And then we draw near some more. Because there are times when I have read verses and passages and chapters in this book 50 times. And on time 51, something flips a switch. And now the verse that I've read so many times, because of where my heart is, has taken a completely different meaning. It's completely flipped because where I started is not where I am now. Because the more I have drawn near to Christ, the more he has settled things in my heart and my life, and now I am fully reliant upon him, not me. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, my thought-provoking question, my deep question is simply this. Are you near to God? That's a heavy question, isn't it? It's really a simple question to ask, but it may be more difficult to respond to. Because we all draw near, but sometimes drawing near is inconvenient. But, but God, you don't understand. Oh, he does. So what to consider then is you're far from God. Perhaps this is because you don't know how to act. Maybe we've been, a, and sometimes I knew in my own life, I knew everything about Jesus. I knew I followed him. I became a Christian when I was 13. But still, even though I knew what to do and what to pursue, I took about almost a 10-year hiatus about pursuing my own agenda. And let me tell you, it was completely unfulfilling. Oh, sure, I was doing my thing, but was completely and utterly empty because it didn't go anywhere. When I finally took a moment and says, okay, God, hands off the steering wheel, it's yours. I didn't start singing, Jesus, take the wheel. But that's what I asked him to do. 
And he did. And so my, what happened is the trajectory of what I thought was going to be my life completely changed drastically. Because in a moment of surrender and the moment of drawing near to God, he said, this is cute, what you were doing, but I've got something that is so much better. Just take the time to seek me and draw near to me. And I did that. And I would not be in this place, in this time, for right now, had I not taken that moment to seek God and say, okay, this is yours. I'm done driving because I'm tired. I need a sleep or a Red Bull. And I don't like Red Bull. So I rested in the arms of Jesus. And he says, why don't you rest a while, my son? I got this. And so that's what he did. God knows you perfectly, and he loves you perfectly. And we can draw near to him honestly and with a true heart. Coming on the second point, if you're far from God, perhaps maybe you just don't believe fully. And if that's the case, be assured that you can investigate fully because God holds up. He will not let you down. So you can draw near to him and in full assurance of faith. And if you're far from God, perhaps you feel guilty about something that you have done or something that has been done to you. And if that's the case, know that Jesus cleanses us inside and out. It's a full service washing. It's a complete detail. Takes what's old, takes it out, and replaces it with that new wine. Changes your wine skin and resets, <laughs> resets your button. Draw near to God, sprinkled clean and washed with pure water. And today, as we wrap up, I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Tim in just a moment. But today, if that's you, I've asked a couple people to be available to pray. I'm available. Greg and Tammy right here are going to be available to pray. Paul and Rhonda, can I put you on the spot? Bless you. Marcus, Liz, if you would like to. Miss Elizabeth and Latanya. If you would like to come and pray and have someone agree with you in prayer, or heck, talk to a neighbor. You don't have to come because somebody right beside you is probably like, yeah, let's do this. All right? We're family, right? So let's assemble. Let's do it together. May I pray for you this morning? God, I'm so thankful for how amazing you are and who you are. I thank you, Father, that you give us an opportunity to draw near to you. You give us a chance to be that, that we can draw near to you, and you never turn away. Even if we walk away, that you are always right there with arms wide open. God, we thank you. I pray that, God, that you would help us to draw near, help to eliminate the distractions that would keep us from drawing near. Help those things become less appealing to us and help us to focus on you completely and wholly. That we would have faith that even if we don't see it, see it happening, we know that you're working. That we know that you're in control. And Father, that we know that your word says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So, Father, we stand on that verse this morning that if any of my friends here this morning have either done something or something has happened to them or whatever they are feeling a guilt about, I pray, Father, for your peace and comfort to invade their heart right now. Father, you would give them peace and that you would just wrap your arms around them, Father, that they would be able to know that you don't condemn them, but you love them and that you are here for them. Jesus, we're so grateful and we love you so much. In your name we pray.